So, thank God. Open your Bibles, please, to the, the Gospel of Mark. I'd like to read the first 12 verses. I, if I have to stop to take a drink of water, forgive me, but I've got to do what I've got to do. Mark chapter 2. I was thinking about having y'all stand, but Brother David already wore you out. So you ain't going nowhere. You'll be right there. Mark chapter number 2, verse 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that uh, there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Well, that's what you would expect. Amen. Son of God preaching the word of God. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. I've preached over the years several times on these verses. I I have a hard time deciding what to title the message. I, I think still my favorite is the, what the uh, uh, an old country preacher many many years ago he he called it "Tote your corner, tote your corner." Four men, this man on a pallet, and each one on a corner, and tote your corner. But somebody else has uh, made the suggestion it might have been called from the cot to the trot. He's laying on the cot and now he's up going. I'm going to simplify it and say, I want to speak to you just about helping the helpless. Helping the helpless. Did you know, according to the Wycliffe Bible translators, that the book of Mark is the most translated book in the whole world? More than any other book in the world is this little gospel of Mark. It appears in more languages than any other book. And you might wonder why. Well, it could be that being the shortest of the Gospels, that might have something to, to do with it, but I really think there's more to it than that. 
since it's directed mainly to the Gentiles who, who knew very little of the Old Testament, if any, it's especially helpful to people like that because it gets right to the point. I mean, it's just one point after another after another, and it gets right to the point in introducing us to the ways and the works of Jesus Christ. And that's what this is all about. He doesn't go into a big bunch of detail about anything else. He just gets right to the point. And I want to focus on these 12 verses. And in this story, there, there is a valuable lesson for us today. I find it interesting. To begin with, it takes place in Capernaum. And, and, and did you notice the word again? In other words, he had been there before. He went back there again. And that that was a place that was well known for his miracles. And that was a big deal in that day because great crowds of people followed him not to hear the word of God, not to be reconciled to God, but it was entertainment for them. They would follow him around to see those miracles and they heard that he's back in town. But it's also noteworthy that notice where he's at. He's in a house. He's not gathered out in some spacious place to where thousands could be in attendance and listen to him. He is in a house. It's been suggested that it was his own house, actually, because, you know, he had, uh, he'd left Nazareth. He could do no mighty works there. He leaves his own hometown and had uh, gone to Capernaum. I, I can't prove that, even though in Matthew chapter 4 it implies that. But also some suggest that it was Peter's house. Well, I suggest it really doesn't make any difference who owned the house. I'm not interested in the house. I'm interested in what happened there. That's the most important thing. And this story has to do with the healing of a man who is sick of palsy. Four unnamed men got this man who could not help himself and got him to Jesus And notice the miracle happened. Look at verse 5. This is when the great miracle happened. When Jesus saw their faith. Their faith. The faith of these four. They were determined. For some reason, they chose to help this man. You know, it's a matter of fact that that we can't help everyone. It's an impossibility for you and I to help everyone that comes along. And there are some folks that... Let me make this clear there. Some folks, you can't help them by helping them. I wish our government would learn that. But you can't help some people by helping them. And there's some reason they chose this man. Believe me, I I just for a moment can't conceive that this is the only fellow in town that had any, any health problems. Some reason they chose this man. And I'll show you why a little bit later. But here's the point. These men had faith that Jesus could change his situation. James tells us, you know, the faith without works is dead, being alone. Real faith will affect our attitude and our actions in every area of our life. It's not just within the walls of the church building, but on the job and, and everywhere else. It'll affect our life if we really truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in His Word. Now, notice their comprehension. You could call it their confidence if you wanted to, but their comprehension of the situation. Verse 3, 
and they come unto him. Now in Luke's account, in chapter 5 of Luke, it says, They sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him, that is Christ. And when they could not find, uh, find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the, the tiling with the couch into the midst before Jesus. Now I read that account there from Luke because it's obvious they're going to get in there one way or another. They can't get in the door. They can't get in the window. The, but, but the point is these men knew where to take their problem. This man has a problem. And they knew what to do. They were convinced if we can just get him to Jesus, Jesus can help. They didn't take a public opinion poll about this man. You know, they didn't call a, a meeting of the city council and say, now look, here's a man, poor man, he can't help himself. He's never been able to walk. He can't get up and, and work at a job and he really needs help. Let, let's, let's vote on this and we'll, we'll go through the democratic process. And he didn't take, they didn't take a public opinion poll because a lot of times, let me tell you, the majority can be way wrong about stuff. He didn't depend on, or they didn't depend on their natural reasoning. They didn't sit down and bicker about it. There, there's a song that, uh, 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 Greater Vision, I think, says, have you heard that song, My Name is Lazarus? That's all about this story, by the way. I wonder what, what the first man thought. What he thought, oh, oh well, you know, we can get him there, but it ain't going to do any good. And he gets down to that fourth man on the fourth corner. And he says, I'd like to testify. He said, my name is Lazarus. Amen. Amen. And he brought me up. If you think your little petty problem's too big for God to solve, you're wrong. These men were convinced that Jesus could solve the situation. Thank God for that. And they demonstrated their faith. And folks, it's the same way with us. We manifest our faith when we bring our problems to Christ. Because there's a lot of times, you know, that if somebody might love you, they might be willing to do anything to help you, but they can't. Not in the way that you need help or not in the way that you want help. But here we see that uh, these men knew where to take the problem uh, a lot of folks, you know, they try everything else. And you've probably heard somebody say, well, I guess I, I, guess I need to pray about that. Duh. We ought to be praying all the time about every situation in our life. You know, it's sad when someone just goes to Christ as a last resort. Nothing else is working. I guess I'll go to church. I had an uncle that did that a long time ago. It shocked me because... We, we didn't go to church. Mom and dad didn't go to church. Mom had that old family Bible over there. Nobody ever read it and talked about it or anything. All of a sudden, this one uncle of mine, he started going to church, and I wondered, what in the world? Why would he do that? And I mean, he was going every week. And then I discovered and found out later that, uh, and by the way, if you got a problem, if you got a problem, it's a good place to come because you need to hear the word of God. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is as soon as his marriage got put back together, 
He was gone from there. That's the sad part. To just use the Lord, as it were, as an emergency escape uh, uh, from from your troubles, and then and then you're through with Him. He deserves our very best all of the time, every moment of every day of our life. And you see, whenever we do that, we wonder then why others why others uh, have no confidence in what we say as Christians. They comprehended that Jesus is the answer, but look at verse 3, and this is a picture of their compassion. Bring one sick of the palsy. Now that word palsy, we would generally use it today. You might think about somebody that we say has the palsy and they're just their hands shake or something like that, but there were extreme versions of of that uh, particular disease. And here's a man that can't walk. I mean, he just absolutely locked down right where he is at. And these men saw a need, and they were concerned enough to get involved. That's the way compassion is. It's compelling. People do what they do. Why? Because they care. They care. And, and, And there are a lot of times that those that do what they do are the very first to get criticized. Let me tell you, they wouldn't do what they do if they didn't care. And here is, a, here is a man that is in need of help, and these four men have compassion on him. They're not just sitting there with their hands idly folded before them, but they, they said, we've got to do something about this. Uh, we know what the answer is. Somebody said, well, you know, i got an appointment. We're going to have to really hurry. They didn't do any of that. They said, let's just get him to Jesus. John said, Whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Love's the great motivator because it enables us to look beyond ourselves. It causes us to see the needs of others. It'll cause us to put aside our plans. It might be that one or more of these men had some demands upon them from other places. They had some responsibilities, but they put all of that aside because they were compelled by love they were willing to leave their bed of ease and get up and to help the helpless and love does that it moves us away from the sweet solitude of our quiet bed you know in the morning gets us up and gets us out in the street as it were among the people and the biggest problem with so-called christianity today is the fact that that with most Christians, so-called Christians, they don't care. They don't care enough to get out of bed and attend Sunday school and support the church. They don't care enough to, you know, to get involved in the ministry of the church. They don't care enough to speak to others about Christ. I mean, how can we do that? How can we receive Christ as our Savior, know our sins are forgiven, and we've got a home in heaven and think about all of those blessings, and here we have relatives. We have friends and co-workers and classmates. And how, how, how can we not tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet there are those who never do. There's an old song that says, you never mentioned him to me. Yeah. And how sad it is that some don't. 
Some don't ever deprive themselves in a sacrificial way to meet the needs of others. Oh, I'm so proud of this church and that I can look out there and see person after person, many of you that literally, well, I I just, I, I can't even explain. But when you know somebody cares and when you know a church cares, it makes all of the difference in the world. We're not a perfect church. Don't have perfect pastors. Don't have any perfect Sunday school teachers. Boy, anybody that accuses us of not being friendly or not caring, they don't know what they're talking about. And it's easy. We can sit around and talk about our shortcomings and problems. We can do that individually till the day that we die. But thank God for people that absolutely care. And how sad it is to to see folks professing to be Christians that really don't care. Sad to see people that don't care about those that, that just fall through the cracks. I'm sitting there this morning in my recliner with a big old stack of of guest cards. Just, I mean, the, that's just part of it. I, I've got huge stacks. But I was just looking at that little stack and thinking about where, where did this one go? And that, where did this family go? What happened to them? Oh, this, these, these they, they joined, but now they're not here. You know, we needed a ministry within the ministry of the church as a whole, a ministry of of reaching out to restore those that are fallen. We we don't always do very good at that. Somebody's fallen. It might be that it might be they're caught up in some sin. It might be that well they're just discouraged. How how can we boast about how? Spiritual we are and then not obey. Galatians 6, 1, where you that are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So many times, and you know I'm telling the truth. So many times we just let people drop out and it's like good riddance. No effort. God help us to not do that. You know, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves as the one that has fallen out and in need of someone coming to. Now, I know why it's getting quiet because I know what you're thinking and your thinking is wrong. It's not about my family, even though I'd be a fool to say it wouldn't include my family. It's true of your family, my family. I can look out here and see, see folks that part of your family has dropped out. And it might be that you're doing everything you can to get them back in church. Thank God for that. Don't ever stop. Don't give up on them. It doesn't make any difference whose family it is. It's somebody Jesus died for. Somebody that maybe is out of fellowship with the Lord and will to break our back, as it were, trying to, to reach them.
These men said, we care. We have compassion. We're going to do something about it. All four of them. Now, when I think about all four of them there, that tells me something, you know, that they needed one another. One man couldn't do the job. There had to be cooperation. But notice the commitment in verse 4 first. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, well, that'd be a no-no in most Baptist churches, wouldn't it? And they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, I don't know a whole lot about architecture back then, but it says a tile roof, and I know tile roofs are pretty expensive, but a whole lot more so than that old asphalt shingles and stuff like that, I would guess. And there, you picture yourself being there in the room, and somebody hears an unusual sound, somebody's on the roof. Here, Jesus trying to preach. Go out, tell them to be quiet up there. And it gets louder and louder, and all of a sudden, there's pieces of shingles falling down into the room. I mean, these guys are committed that whatever it takes, whatever, we're going to get him in there, one way or another. You know, we Baptists be wondering, I wonder if this is covered by the insurance. Who's going to, who's going to pay for this? <laughs> but they're persistent. They wouldn't be stopped until the job was completed. Let me tell you, it's real easy for any of us. You might not think so. You may think, boy, I've got my act together. I'll never get discouraged. I'll never get depressed. I'll never be, be a drop. I'll never quit on the Lord. Listen, we dare not ever brag about that. We don't want to quit on God. We don't want to give up. We don't want to fall by the wayside. That's true. That's good. Be determined. But boy, be careful about saying never. I mean, it can happen to any of us. They wasted no time. They spared no energy in getting them to Jesus. Let me give you something to think about. Because that took some work, by the way. Chopping up the roof, breaking, you know, getting him up there. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. In, in other words, it's telling us they, they, they have wishes, but they won't work. The soul of the sluggard desireth. They, they want this or they want that, but they won't work. You know, far too many people in America and around the world today that want something for nothing. They're not willing to work for it. And a lot of times, you know, we church members make the mistake of saying, you know, we want to see our church grow. We want to see larger crowds. We want to see more people saved. And I think everybody here would vote for that. I mean, that would be a great thing. But so many times we, we wish that would happen. We wish every seat in the building was, was filled. We, but we've got to do more than that. Wishing has to be translated into working. Uh, I, I think about Brother Rick there and Brother John there and Brother Barry, is he back there? And these guys, you know, that, that are involved in company business, Bubba back there. Uh, 
we got a lot of cops and businessmen in this church. That, that's a good thing. And I wonder if, uh, I wonder how they would respond if, uh, if they walked up on some fellow there on the job is on their payroll and they stand there leaning up against the pole and said, what are you doing? Well, I'm wishing I had that pile of brick stacked over there. I've been wishing all morning and, and just hadn't got it done yet. Wishing's not going to get the job done. And wishing's not going to keep you on the payroll. Let me tell you, young people, you need to learn a work ethic at the earliest possible age. It's important. You can have all of these desires in your heart, but if you don't have the gumption to get up and get out there and to do it, you'll never be able to achieve the desire of your heart. Like the old saying, a job worth doing is worth doing well, and that's true. And these men succeeded because not because they were stronger than any other, not because they were smarter than any other, but rather because they were committed. They had this dogged determination and they labored to find a way. It means they couldn't get him in here, they couldn't get him in around there. Well, fellas, oh, we've got, we got one option. We've got to get him up on top. We've got to chop up that tile roof. Let me tell you, people are more important than property. And now we see their cooperation here. It took everybody. You know, no one lives or dies unto themselves. We all need one another. This job's too big for one man. One man couldn't do it. But they're convinced if we work together. Now, you know, even if you've got two men, that, 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 boy, that's going to be tough. I'm not sure how you're going to do it unless they're really strong. There were three men. Well, now you got one on each corner, but you got one corner. The poor guy's going to slide off that corner and be in worse condition. It took the cooperation of all of these men, and you tried to put yourself, you know, in their place. And think about how important that fourth man was, or the third man. And whenever we think about the Lord's church, and the Lord, you ever thought about, why didn't the Lord just... Uh, just send us out individually on the mission, go into all of the world, preach the gospel to people, and you baptize them. You don't need anybody else, just, just you, and, uh, and then they can follow you around if they want to, or if they don't, they don't have to. They can go off on their own. Why was it necessary to have an institution of an organization? It's because we need one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that great chapter that likens the Lord's church to a body. And boy, I'll, I'll tell you, the older you get, the more you need every, every part of your body. It's important because, uh, you know, I, I can't do with my left hand even what I can do with my right hand. I, I couldn't even write with my left hand. A lot of things. You lose one member and it's going to affect the entire body. Now you might be here and it might be that you don't sing in the choir, you don't teach a Sunday school class, you're not what people would call maybe really involved. But let me tell you, you are needed. 
You are needed. You, you are, you, you don't ever go away saying, well, I'm not important. I don't have an office or anything. No, listen, you are needed. You might be a shoulder for somebody to cry on. You just might be that person that's there to encourage someone. But we need every member of the church and working together. And that's the way a church succeeds. You think about the church at Corinth there. And that church, I mean, they had all kinds of problems. I never understood why people, Corinth Baptist Church, you see that all the time. I saw one the other day, though, that really got me. It said Pentecostal Free Will Baptist Church. (laughs) I still haven't figured it out. If you do, let me know. But to name your church Corinth Baptist Church. Now, I've preached in Corinth, Mississippi. I've been over there. I don't know why the town named itself that. This church was full of problems. So that's what Paul is dealing with here. He's saying, look, folks, look. You need to, you need to stop and think about what you're doing to yourself. And every part of the body, he said, it functions in a different way. We can't all do the same thing. If your car breaks down, you call Bubba, don't call me. If you need carpet laid, don't call me. I don't know nothing about it. I'd have all kinds of lumps out there and you call Brother John. Everybody specializes in something different. I can't do everything in, in, in the church. I can't hardly do anything anymore, but... It takes all of us working together like a team. It'd be so silly to have a football team and everybody want to play quarterback or, or everybody say, no, I want to be a lineman. So here you got 11 linemen out there. What good's that going to do? You've got to have some organization. You've got to have some commitment. And God help us to have the kind of commitment that these men did. Here's the point. They did what evidently no one else wanted to do. Nobody else wanted to do it or they would have been doing it. I mean, that's the way I look at it. No, I don't see where it says, and so-and-so, uh, so-and-so came and tried to help but couldn't do it. No, I don't read that. They were committed when nobody else was. And Jesus saw their faith. He blessed their effort. And I believe He'll do the same with us in every aspect of life. Now, I want you to focus for a minute on the convert himself here. Because that's all interesting about the dedication of these men. But look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, wait a minute. It says, and he saw their faith. We've got four men here, four men doing the work. He saw their faith. I pray to God that Jesus will see our faith as individual Christians here, that our faith will be evident and it'll be impressive, and that one day we'll hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four, but wait a minute. He saw the faith of all five. Because the Lord doesn't just arbitrarily, you know, just say, this man thy sins be forgiven. He knew what was going on in that man's heart. 
And I got to thinking about those four men, why they brought this particular man. Why not some leper? Why not somebody else that had a great need? Why didn't they drag a corpse up there? Say, you know, if, if he can raise the dead, let's, let's bring Grandpa up there. Jesus could have raised him. For some reason, they chose this man. And the Bible doesn't give us the details. But for me, this kind of tells the story. He saw their faith. They brought this particular man. And Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee. They, I believe in, with all of my heart, some way or another, that God had laid it on there. They knew this man had a spiritual need. And they all four said, let's get him to Jesus. You've heard me say before, God works on both ends. And He, he does. There, there sometimes you can approach somebody about their need of salvation. And I'm telling you, they don't want anything to do with it. Don't you give up. You just keep praying and waiting for the opportunity and God will work on the other end and the day will come you'll get a call from the hospital that says, hey, preacher, I hate to call you, but I'm up here in the hospital. Would you come up and talk to me, preacher? I don't think I'm going to make it. You see, God has a way of working on both ends and I don't know all of the details, but here's what I do know. He not only saw this man's physical need, he saw his spiritual need, and he dealt with the spiritual need before he dealt with the physical need. Jesus said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. What sweeter words could anyone hear? And maybe you're here today, and uh, like some of our dear members, and it breaks my heart to see them going through that suffering with cancer and going through treatments and see others that have physical problems and think about my wife in that condition and think about your some of your family members in that condition and boy, it just breaks your heart. And you might be here today and say, Preacher, I haven't told anybody yet, but I've got a serious physical affliction. I don't know what to do. The first question is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's the most important thing. It's It's not how healthy you are. It's not how wealthy you are. It's not how famous you are. None of that matters if you're going to die and go to hell and leave it all behind. You say, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, that ain't going to change anything. It doesn't change a thing. This blessed old book I hold in my hand that never lies not only talks about the wonderful place called heaven, and even Jesus spoke more on the subject of hell than He did heaven. It's real, folks. And if you're not born again, I'm sorry to tell you, but that's where you're headed Your concern should be for your spiritual need first. And if you're here today and unsaved, regardless of what your problem is, the best thing, the greatest thing is not that God would heal you of a disease. The best thing is not even that God would put your marriage back together. The best thing that could happen to anybody is for you to, to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Then maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, I'm, I'm, I'm saved and I love the Lord. I want, I want to please God with my life, but I've, uh, I've just got to admit I've let go of my corners. Um, I've just let others do, do the work. I've dropped the ball at half court. I've neglected my responsibility. I'm not, I just don't have the compassion that drives me to make that kind of a commitment. Well, It'd be a really good thing today. Let me tell you something about all of us. Too many times we get to trying to depend on our feelings when we feel really close to God and we get excited and you know we're able to cry and we're able to laugh. Let me tell you, it's the doldrums that the, that the sailors fear more than anything else out there. And let me tell you, the humdrums of life, spiritually speaking... You can find yourself, you, you, you know you ought to pray, you've been praying, but you don't even feel like praying. You say, preacher, you mean there are times that you feel that way? Yeah, I, there are times I don't feel like praying. I don't feel, I just don't feel like it. I, there have been some times that I've even gotten to the state that, oh, well, what's the use? Didn't stay there very long, but I got there. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. If you think you can't get there, you're already in dangerous territory. Because you can find yourself suddenly for no apparent reason. David said, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He couldn't even figure. He didn't know. But he had the mully grubs and just couldn't get over it and, and, and wasn't thinking spiritual. And, and maybe... You just lost the joy of your salvation. If the joy of the Lord is your strength, isn't that what the Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10? That's, that's where we're strong. The joy of the Lord. When you lose that, you're going to become weaker and weaker. And maybe today you just need to bow your head in prayer or maybe just come up and kneel. You don't have to say a word to anybody. Say, Lord... I've lost the joy of my salvation. I know I'm going to heaven, but Lord, it's just like I've, I've just dried up inside. And I don't have any joy anymore. Do you, do you believe Jesus could change that, do you? I do. I do. I believe He could change that. He could help you with that. And I know because He's helped me with it. He helped Paul with it. He helped Job with it. All through the Bible. And He can help you whatever you're needing, especially if you're here and you're not saved. And you say, well, preacher, I, I just don't want to walk down there by myself. Well, turn to somebody nearby and say, would you go down there with me? They will. I promise you, they will. They'll be glad to. Brother Kenneth will take the Word of God and show you from this blessed old book how you can know you'll go to heaven when you die. Amen. Would you do that while we stand together? Brother Myrick and the musicians are going to come. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. And if God's speaking to your heart, look, it might be that you just want to come and pray for some dear loved one that, well, there was a time when you tried to get them to Jesus. You, you really did. You tried. You made a good effort, right? You cared enough to try. But they're not there yet. They're just as lost as they can be. One heartbeat away from a devil's hell. 
And you say, preacher, I hate to admit it, but but I've just given up on them. I don't even talk to them about it anymore. And maybe you need to just make that commitment this morning that by the grace of God before this week is over or before this day is over, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to, I'm going to make a full-out effort to get them to Jesus. Father in heaven, bless Your Word this morning. How we thank You, Lord, for those that are helpers, those that are like those four men, four men who were so troubled by the condition of that, of that man that they decided we're going to make a difference. Thank You, Lord, for those people in my life down through all of these more than a half of a century that have been right there and helping in some way. People who make a difference. God help us to all be somebody that makes a difference in somebody's life. I pray this morning especially for that person that's here today that's never truly trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit might so convict them that, Lord, that they, they would literally run down the aisle if need be, but some way or another, that they had come to Christ. And we promise, Lord, whatever happens this morning, we'll promise we'll give you alone the praise for all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we lift our voice in song, if God's speaking to your heart, would you come maybe along with these here? Speak to me.